0: Alrighty, good morning again. Let's get started. Acts chapter 19. Making our way through verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're at the third missionary journey. Paul the Apostle leading the way. Acts chapter 19, where we pick up, where we left off. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Dear Heavenly Father, we acknowledge your presence here by your wonderful Holy Spirit. It's here to open the eyes of our understanding that we might make sense of these wonderful truths that set our hearts free. Help us to hear with ears that can hear. Anoint our eyes that we could see truly the wonderful truths that you have for us and then to put these truths into practice and be blessed in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Growing up as a boy in the 60s, Saturday morning was big. Not only because we didn't have to go to school, but because of Saturday morning cartoons. (laughs) (laughs) And just my personal humble opinion, cartoons have never improved from those days. Those were the best cartoons ever created, were the early cartoons, amen? We got a lot of old people here today, awesome. (laughs) Listen, uh, my favorite all-time cartoon, especially then, was Popeye the Sailor Man. All right. Um, Yes, I hear some sound effects out there. Very good. You're right. Now, let me uh, brief you for some who've forgotten what the theme is all about. Popeye... It inevitably ends up in a hopeless situation, but then, of course, usually after a beating, uh, a can of spinach would appear. Uh, Apparently, he'd carried a can of spinach on him at all times because it would always pop out of his shirt. And he'd grab that, pop open the can, and gulp the whole thing down. Once he swallowed that spinach, super Human strength abounded, and he would easily save the day. And what did that look like? Well, he had to rescue his sweetie, of course, whose name was Olive Oil, not O-I-L, O-Y-L, just so you know. He could do acrobatics. That was the best part for me. He could fly. He would just save the day. And you know what? Really the best part was he could put big, bad Brutus in his place, Amen. One punch from a spinach-infused Popeye, bam! End of story. Now, I remember the night my mom served spinach for the first time. <laughs> and of course, she had to make the connection between my hero and the spinach. This is what Popeye eats. I was excited, to tell you the truth. <laughs> until it went in my mouth. <laughs> and to this day, I'll eat spinach, but it's a little on the slimy side for me. Just a If you hide it cleverly in things, I will partake. And, well, sorry to say that. How many of you love spinach? Raise your hand. Uh, yeah, that's why you were scowling at me. I'm so sorry to be a hater on your spinach. All right. <laughs> I uh, loved that guy. and I love the whole thing about it, but there remains a way for us today to have superhuman power, and it's not about the spinach, it's about the spirit, the Holy Spirit, and his enabling power that we're gonna be talking about today, among some other things as well. Here in chapter uh, 19, Paul's third missionary journey, as I have said, we are now approaching Ephesus, for the second time here in Acts 19. We're gonna take the first 22 verses, Lord willing, and it divides quite nicely into three sections. So we'll have section one, two, and three. Let's start with one, one through seven. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, uh, no, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. We told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about a dozen of these guys in all. All right, let's pause there. I'm working a little rhyme with the points, okay? So you won't know until you hear the rest of the points, but let's start with the disciples that lacked. The disciples that lacked. Now, how many of you, while we were reading this text, were kind of glad we're going to discuss it? Because you're like, "Hey, I've always wondered about this scripture." Anybody here? Oh, yeah, I thought so. Now, let's start by saying this: uh, Paul runs into disciples, Christians, at Ephesus who are missing something, he notices a deficiency of some kind, he's, they're not like the other Christians he's used to being around, uh, or he wouldn't have asked the question, he's concerned, there's, there's something quite not right about this, and, and interestingly, uh, it seems like the dozen of these uh, guys are very much in the same understanding of Apollos. Apollos has just left Ephesus, but before he was talked to by Priscilla and Aquila, explained to him a more adequate understanding of the Christian life, which we talked about last week, uh, he was only concerned or he was only uh, understanding John the Baptist, baptism of repentance. And so uh, Apollos, as teaching in Ephesus, very likely is the cause of these disciples who heard Apollos, and haven't been brought into the fullness and the understanding of the Christian life as the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts and and makes that life uh, possible. And so here we have a hotly disputed passage. And commentators, generally what they do is they take the line and make the passage say what they theologically believe about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And so what I'd like to try to do is, is lay aside the bias, biases about the text, and just kinda walk through it and make some applications for our own lives without having to twist it and make it say things that I don't think it's saying, and so that's our goal. So the first thing is, as I've been saying, Paul notices that something's lacking. Something's quite, quite, quite not right here. Uh, These men are Christians, number one. They're called disciples. He says these are disciples, and he's asking a question about when they believed. They are believing, baptized disciples who followed in the way of John the Baptist, who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Certainly they knew why they were being baptized. They knew about Christ, like Apollos he knew and taught accurately about Jesus. These disciples, I really don't think you can say they were not saved. You don't call people disciples in the Bible if they're not mafetes in the Greek to be learning of Christ. And so, number one, I think it's safe to assume these are Christians. They're already Christians, they have a deficiency in their understanding about Acts chapter two because Acts chapter two is being written by Luke at the time. And so they, they, they don't have a full understanding. So Paul says there's something about your, the way you're talking, your attitude, uh, the way you're joking, there's something about how you're living your Christian life that begs the question, hey, um, tell me about your testimony. Did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Well, you kind of know what perhaps he picked up there, the vibe, you know, I think of a time at Bible college, I had a friend over for dinner. Let's call him Craig because that was his name. (laughs) (laughs) And we started talking about books we were reading and I said that I was reading Charles Dickens, bo- a book by Charles Dickens, whatever. He said, I said, you know what, I, I feel guilty sometimes reading books because I could be reading the Bible. So I always feel like I'm spending hours and hours reading this, but how much time do I, I read the Bible? And he said, oh, that's because the Bible's boring. Just admit it. <laughs> All right, Bible college student. <laughs> Christian, Right? So even if I thought that, I would never give voice to that. I do not think that. I think whenever the Bible seems boring, maybe you're in a genealogy section, or maybe you're in the Old Testament with a list of names names for nine chapters. Okay, I understand that. But that's not what he's... (laughs) Uh, That helps me fall asleep, by the way. But he's not talking about that. It's a user error when the Bible doesn't come to life because it's the God-breathed word sent from heaven. It's living. It's alive. And so to say something like that would just be a comment that would make Paul say, "Did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you when you believed?" You know, or or the language, words, uh, maybe not profane. Technically, but just on the edge and just that rougher worldly kind of attitude. Hey, did you guys perceive the Holy Spirit when you believe? Now let's take a look at that. Because scripture has to interpret scripture. On the on the face value of that question it does not make sense with the rest of the Bible that says when you believe and you're a disciple, you have the Holy Spirit. So he must mean something a little bit wider or broader. So let's take a look at this. Romans 8, 9, from the same man, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. Ah, we got it. Disciples who believe have the Holy Spirit in them. Perhaps we are talking about having the Holy Spirit upon, which is in the verse, upon, in power, overflowing, the overflow, the gift. And so perhaps he's saying this. Did you guys receive the gift, the empowering, the baptism, the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Is that part of your testimony? Now, in defense of John the Baptist, uh, John's message was not deficient. John the Baptist said this in Luke (laughs) chapter 3 and verse 16. John answered all of them, listen, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, you know, that that happens to preachers all the time. Every Sunday, people leave with part of the message. And they miss probably the main part sometimes. The main part is saying, hey, this is water baptism, but the one I'm telling you about, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the world. He will come, and it won't be a dunk in the water. He will bring fire inside. And so Paul is saying, hey, you guys, hey, tell me about your testimony. You got the fire? Did you get the fire inside? I'm not talking about changing you from an introverted, shy person, which God made you that way and loves you that way. There are shy people who have fire and devotion to Christ. I'm not talking about that. A little heat. Did you get the warmth? Did you get the power to, to deny self, pick up cross, and follow to live the Christian life? The hunger for the word so that it's not boring. The desire to pray. The love of worship the zeal to serve and to do something for Jesus, compassion for the lost. Did you get that fire? Because if you don't have that fire, you don't have any of that. Human beings don't do those things. You need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. How, just tell me how, without the help of God Almighty living inside of you, assisting you, coming upon you with power, how are you going to live the Christian life? How are you gonna say no to yourself? uh, My followers must deny themselves and pick up their cross. All day long, that means you're telling your sinful nature that's constantly prompting you to to be self-centered, to be rude, to do things, to rebel, to be immoral. Constantly, your heart brings up these things. How are you ever going to overcome that without somebody stronger, right? It's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit with fire. Did you get the fire? And here's their honest response. Uh, The holy who? (laughs) The holy who? Um, Paul, we never even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So that ought to answer your question. So, you know, Paul says, well, you got baptized, right? What happened at your baptism? Well, we, we repented, We repented of our sins. We confessed the Lord. We need the Lord, and and we have forgiveness of sins. We came up out of the water, and here we are. We're believers. So he says, Paul says, did he baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Well, no, because we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit, so your baptism, the guy who baptized you, the ministry that you were a part of, was deficient in the knowledge that the Holy Spirit has been given for this life to be lived in a victorious way. And so, he says, let's do it again. Let's baptize you again in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so Paul baptizes them again, lays hands on them, and now there's an overflow from the inner heart, evidence that the Holy Spirit is in this. Now, you'll notice in your text, it says, he baptized them into the name of Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Commentators say it's a protracted way of saying that he baptized them in the proper Christian way with the proper Christian formula into the name of Jesus means they were properly baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so change was happening. And then there's evidence, right? There's an overflow. John chapter 7, 37 to 39. On the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stands up and says with a loud voice, if anybody's thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from him. Love this line. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So he says, in the same way, that the element in which you're baptized clings to you like water. You hug somebody who's been water baptized, you get wet because there's an overflow of the material in which you were immersed. If you're immersed by Christ into the Holy Spirit, you will overflow, John 7, with streams of living life, something related to the element in which you were baptized and will be clinging around you and overflowing. In this case, it was the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Two of them, speaking in tongues and proclaiming God's word. Those are two of 23 or more gifts listed in the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 4, First Peter 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, for a list of all the gifts. It's not an exhaustive list, but if the Holy Spirit has filled you and come upon you, (laughs) then these things flow out and we're gonna talk about this. So let's draw some important conclusions before we move on. Since the 120 disciples who were in the upper room were saved before the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter one and verse eight, I might have it up here. I might just quote it to you. He says, wait. For John baptized with water, but in a few days from now, you Christians, you believers, you already have the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a believer without the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8. You believers will be empowered, and, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. So it's a different sort of thing. Then you will have power to do my work. So it's an enabling. It's a, it's a power. Now Chuck Smith... Uh, really helped us out. So, so I'm making the case that if 120 of them were, were already saved and then they got this experience of power and these disciples who believed when they were baptized also were believers and then received and then were filled with this empowerment, then it is possible and probable that the Baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes upon you and overflows you is distinct and can be distinct from your initial conversion. I think I just made the case for that, even with the 120. And if you say, well, how do we know the 120 were saved? Ah, John chapter 20. Post-resurrection, Jesus goes through the walls and breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Chuck Smith has a great teaching. Three preparation, pre, prep, what's the word? Prepositions, <laughs> preparations. Better <laughs> be careful with that. <laughs> All right, so three Greek prepositions that describe the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. Number one, para, where we get the word parallel. He's a parakletos. He comes alongside, and we see that in John chapter 14, he comes alongside to help us. Hey, he was alongside you long before you ever woke up to the fact that you needed him because it was by him who drew you and convicted you of your sin. So you have that relationship. You have that relationship with him now. And so did they. So did the believers. Check. Number two, EN, our word, IN, in. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 through 20. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and God, his spirit is in you. You're a Christian. He's in you. Check. He was in them. 3. Epi in the Greek, upon you. Now, look in the text. It says, after they came up out of water baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they, the Spirit came upon them. Check. They had one and two. Three was coming. My personal belief, many, many times, it happens at conversion, the whole thing. I see it all the time. I mean, they don't need to be told anything. They get it. They go home. They're like, hey, I need a Bible. Yeah, yeah, you do. Hey, yeah, yeah. where should I start reading? <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, let me show you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Oh, oh and uh, I got to tell my girlfriend. She's got to move out. Who told you that? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who, who, uh, Pastor Ross didn't tell you that. Yeah, I know because puh, you got the fire. You got the power. You start knowing you're already hungry. Give me the word. Enough to say, hey, you need a Bible to somebody who has the fire. They have the fire. So it's just, sometimes it happens at conversion and sometimes it's not. How do you know? How do you know? You totally know. You totally know. What's going on inside your own heart? You know. And the other thing is, why would Paul say in Ephesians, be ye filled, the word in the Greek is continually Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why would he say that to people who are already filled with the Spirit and don't need to be filled with the Spirit unless there are seasons and ebbs and flows of every Christian life where we have lows and highs and we need to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a distinct and wonderful empowerment available for anybody who asks. I love what Charles Spurgeon is a Baptist. And here's what the Baptist preacher from England in the 1800s, who every pastor I know has his books on their shelves. Here's what this Baptist says. and the reason I call him a Baptist is because Baptists are cessationists. That means they believe that the gifts, like tongues, have ceased. So they're called cessationists, all right? Here's what this Baptist preacher says. Have you received the Spirit since you believed? Beloved, are you now receiving the Spirit? Are you being filled? Are you living under his divine influence? Are you filled with his power? Put the question to yourself personally. I'm afraid some professing Christians will have to admit that they hardly know whether there be a Holy Spirit and others who have to confess that though they have enjoyed a little of Christ's saving work, yet they do not know much of his enabling and sanctifying influence. D.L. Moody, here's a quote about what he thought about this passage. He's like the Billy Graham of the 1800s. Here's what he said. I was constantly asking God as a Christian to fill me with the spirit in those days. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It seems too sacred of an experience to talk about. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stop. I went on preaching. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, but in a different, more powerful way I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. It's pretty important because the Bible says, Galatians 5 and verse 25, um, We, since we live by the Spirit, we must keep ourselves in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is everything. He's how you live your relationship with God. It's how you have victory over those thoughts of yours. It's how you control your tongue. Who can control their tongue except the Holy Spirit grab it and hold it, amen? amen. And just take a scissors and just cut that thing off. My dear dad, my dear dad, 55 years old, a nice Jewish boy from Brooklyn, gets saved at 55. And I've told you the story before. And he was just living his Christian life, you know. Uh, no church. Reading his Bible every day, none of us were saved. I was 19 years old. My dad fell in love with these books from Dallas Seminary. So he made a pilgrimage. He got some money. He got on a bus. He took his Bible, and he went down to Dallas Theological Seminary just to stay a week. They put him up in the dorms. And something happened down there at a Baptist seminary to my father in the dorm rooms. And he told me about it when he came back. My dad, I was kind of a hard-hearted businessman, kind of, I don't know how to describe him before. I'll tell you what, he came back, his face looked different. I said, Dad, what happened to you down there? He said, "I, I don't have the words to tell you. I just saw how the Lord put my whole life together and, 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 and got me interested in the Bible through this book and then suddenly I'm a Christian. I come from thousands of years of Jews and, and I'm a Christian and I went to Dallas, uh, Big Baptist Church downtown Dallas and he gave an altar call. My father was already saved but he went up to the altar call and he whispered to a very famous pastor there, He whispered out to him, I'm a Jew. And the guy said, I want all the Jewish believers in the sanctuary to stand. And there was a handful, pretty good size, Dallas, and and they came down and laid hands on my father in a Baptist church. And my father went back to the dorm room and he said, I cried like a baby for hours. That's what happened to him. The Holy Spirit came up. On him. He didn't speak in tongues. You don't have to speak in tongues. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 30 says, do all speak in tongues? Implying no. They don't. It's a rhetorical question. But there's a fullness, there's a breaking, there's a there's a, a warming, there's a fire. There's something that gets a hold of you and you're done playing games and you mean it and, and your heart is alive and your mind is renewed and the words that come out of your mouth are different. You're a new creation and it's thanks to that power. I think it manifests in so many different ways. You may be saying, well, how do I know if I have it? Everyone around you knows if you have it. <laughs> Ask them uh, if <laughs> Now, listen, yeah, don't start fights on the way home. <laughs> Honey, am I full of the spirit? No, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. All right, listen. Do others come first? You denying yourself? You loving your enemies? You forgive people who hurt you? Oh, they don't deserve it but you do it anyway? You obey instead of rebel? Do You have your little secret sins that are alive and well. Nobody here knows about it except you and God. We know. If then, though you are evil, Jesus speaking, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more the Heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Not hard. So I say say this. Yield your will. Ask your Father. Trust and receive. And you'll see it. You'll see the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Would evidence that you're full of Him because it's coming out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, (laughs) gentleness, faithfulness, Self-control. I'm missing one. What was it? Let's all just call out together once. Goodness. For goodness sake. (laughs) There it is. Thank you. All right. 12 guys lacking. Now they are filled to overflowing. Let's go to section two. So Paul enters the synagogue and speaks boldly there for three months, arguing, per- arguing, Paul, you're a Christian, you're not supposed to be talking about religious things like that, oh, sorry, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God, but some of them became obstinate, they refused to believe, and publicly maligned the way, that means to slander, right, So Paul left them, he took the disciples with him, and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, wow, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and the and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Now, let's pause there. Here's my rhyme, okay? So the first point was the disciples who lacked, and now the Jews that talked smack. What do you think? (laughs) This isn't coming from any books, okay? Coming fresh right out of this brain. All right, now listen. A lot to talk about here, actually. Um, So after Paul equips some of the disciples, Ephesians 4.11, right? He goes to the fishing hole because what did the Lord say about Christian leaders uh, per se and Christian life? I will make you fishers of men. Uh, You're going to be catching people's souls and saving them, and bringing them to safety. And so, we're better to fish than a synagogue? Oh, they got the Bibles, they got the scrolls, they know the one true God. They got all, all the prophecies of Jesus sitting there, right there. But all they're missing is faith, to combine it all with faith, and to hear how Jesus fulfilled 300, 300 Old Testament, what we call Old Testament scriptures, are fulfilled. By Jesus. I told a Jewish co-worker of mine once, I said, Oh, I just love this time of year. It was Good Friday. And she said, It's Passover. Why would a Christian love Passover? I said, Jesus died on Passover. She went, she, she was typing on the keys of the computer and her hands went up. And she said, He died on Passover? I never knew that. I said, Yeah, because he's the Passover lamb. It was the blood. It was the blood that death passed over. And if you have the blood of the true lamb of God upon the doorposts of your heart, death comes and passes over. That's the whole point of Passover. She went, interesting. Thank you. Went back. To that. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Well, 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 it was going well here in the synagogue for th- what three months. But, you know, there were converts, too many of them and maybe too many changes, too fast, too furious for whomever and too much attention on Paul and it blew up as, it ha- as we've seen uh, in previous chapters. So some just had enough of all this Jesus stuff and decided uh, we're gonna put an end to it not only for ourselves but for everybody else and so they publicly maligned the way. We were called the way. Christianity had a nickname, the way. <laughs> Go figure, what does that mean? The message is the way to eternal life, to be coming right with God, to escape your just penalty, the wrath of God. It's the way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, notice in your text it says they refuse to believe, and you know what that means. It means faith is a choice, it's not about a lack of information. If I just had more information, maybe I could believe. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God's spirit has made it plain to everybody, and if it is a lack of information, it's neglect. If it's ignorance, it's willful ignorance. And so with creation testifying there is a God, our conscious, conscience rather, is affirming, that we know that there's a God, that we need to bow the knee, that we didn't get here by ourselves. Everything is saying there is a God and we need to bow. They refused to do that. And, and so now Paul realizes his life is in jeopardy again. So he rents a school and he plants a church there and he, it's a discipleship school, a church, and uh, it's a lecture hall. and the professor who kind of runs the place is called uh, Tyrannus, which has to be a nickname because it means the tyrant. So if you go on ratemyprofessor.com, you will find out how he got his name, all right? Because no, no, his mama did not see him and call him the tyrant, right? You wait until they're two years old for that. Here's how it worked. You can combine Acts 20 with historical writings, and we get the picture. Here's what he did. Paul made tents. It was hard work. In the morning, the school was in session until about 11 o'clock till three or four when the Mediterranean sun was high in the sky and it was hot, and everyone took a break. They had their siesta time. They had a meal. They did their thing. And then they'd come back at four or five. Paul says to Mr. Tyrant, hey, listen, you're not using the hall from 11 to 3. Uh, I'd like to rent that from you. And he did for two years. Daily. He probably took the Sabbath off, but daily. Every day, five hours a day, with the Apostle Paul teaching and expounding on the scriptures. That's a few thousand hours. And no wonder the area, here's a map. Ephesus, it says that the word of the Lord went out. They made disciples of the seven churches of Asia, six more, including Ephesus, is number seven, if if you will. So all of those churches, Paul never went to any of those churches in the scriptures. We don't have record of that. Uh, Colossae, Colossians, the letter to the Colossians, right underneath Laodicea, their neighboring towns, that would be included as well led by the disciples of the training school. And what's interesting to me is we still do this, Christians and churches, we rent schools to use and occupy during their off times. There are hundreds and hundreds of schools and halls that are in session today because we rent them, and 2,000 years ago, they were doing the same thing. And now, interestingly, wow, uh, extraordinary miracles. Now, the Bible says in the Greek, these weren't the run-of-the-mill miracles. <laughs> I like that. I mean, when you think of a miracle, you just think, oh, wow, right? But the Bible says this is a non-traditional miracle. So open up your minds, these you same Christians. This is God. It may look funny to you, but God knew what he was doing, and they're the extraordinary Kind. And so, what's happening? Two unfortunate translations here. Uh, King James is even worse, napkin. Uh, okay, it's not a handkerchief. It's a sweat rag. It's the, wor- it's the sweat band that tent makers would use, and, and it would just collect sweat, you know, so he doesn't ruin what it is he's working on. The apron is a leather smock that kept them. So you don't think chocolate chip cookies, all right? This guy, making tents is a big deal. Now, what happened here? Ephesus is the demon capital of the world. They were known for their witchcraft and their demonic spells and their scrolls and their amulets and their psychics and everything. So some needy person, probably, just, I I would imagine, just picked up a sweat rag and just said, oh, if the God that he preaches about could just set me zap free. Something like that happened. And then wherever Paul would lay his stuff, he'd go, hey, did anybody see my sweat rag? Yeah, somebody came in and swiped it. (laughs) Hey, where's my apron? This is my fourth apron this week. You know, yeah, you know. Uh, With or without his knowledge, nobody knows what was happening. But non-traditional, how about the lady who approached Jesus, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Really? Where does it say that in the Bible? (laughs) Jesus honored her faith as weak and extraordinary as it was. That's enough for me to want to save you. You have enough that I'm going to do this. By the way, I was reading this morning, in my own quiet time before church, that in Mark, and I I just forgot this verse, it says, as many as touched the hem of his garment were made whole. So it wasn't just the lady. How about Peter's shadow? Peter, Peter, over here, just let your shadow, just touch the shadow. Yeah, what was that about? What about the stirring on the water, first one in gets healed? God's free to heal people any way he wants. Amen? And so that's what was going on. I think two things before we close up with the next section about these unusual uh, activities. Number one is a shout out to the oppressed Ephesians. This man's message will heal and set you free. It's an affirmation of where to find deliverance and eternal life. Uh, The Lord says in the word, signs, miraculous signs will follow those who believe and preach like that. And number two, I think that's an affirmation to Paul and to others who work secular jobs and love the (laughs) Lord and just maybe perhaps feel a little discouraged that they're not in the ministry or that they're wasting all of these precious hours by the sweat of my brow and the work of my hands and God saying, oh no, it's blessed. Your vocation, Martin Luther, reformer, 16th century, your vocation is a holy calling from God. God says in this passage, I believe, listen, when you do your work with all your heart, prayerfully, that I'm using that. I'm using that to, to supply your needs. You, you take some of that and you give it and it supports the ministry. You are a light in your place of employment. People will be in heaven because of the sweat of your brow in the place of your divine, holy calling at in and out or wherever. So I'm looking around where you cut hair, where you deliver the mail, where you fix computers, uh, the planes that you fly, let me see, who else could I pick on? <laughs> Wherever God has called you to be. Uh, what, what, I'm not the only one who thinks that. Here, hold on. Our work for the kingdom isn't isolated within the walls of a church. It doesn't have to take the direct form of something like preaching, but when we go about our jobs with diligence, right hearts, and prayerful souls, God is pleased to bless the sweat of our brow and the work of our hands to bring life and light through our efforts and relationships in secular vo- vocations. I like that. Let's move on. Last section. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of that Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. So they would say, in the name of that Jesus whom that Paul guy preaches, I command you to come out. (laughs) Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. Now one day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know all about Paul, but who are you? (laughs) Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. (laughs) That's ugly. (laughs) That's bad. That's a bad way to go. 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. Yeah, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed underline that part please many of those who believed Christians now came and openly confessed their evil deeds a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly when they calculated the value of the scrolls the total came to 50,000 drachmas that's a lot of drachmas (laughs) I'll tell you about it later In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. (laughs) That's a hard one. After that, I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome as well. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. All right. Ready for the rhyme? Number one, disciples that lacked. Number two, some Jews who talked smack. And number three, some brothers who got whacked. <laughs> <laughs> it just happens, I can't stop it. Back in the day, back in the day, it was trendy if you were a Jewish priest and you wanted to make some money, You take your Jewish robes and your Jewish beads and your Jewish oils and you say, you want to get rid of that nasty, demonic, evil spirit in your house and call upon me. Jesus said he refers to the practice in the Gospels uh, there in Matthew, I believe it's chapter 12. Uh, So we know they would do it. It was hocus-pocus, incantations, you know, a superstition without much success until, of course, the real thing was happening, right? So one of these brothers, this is how I picture it, one of these brothers, you know, was near somebody who was demonized, manifesting. They took one of Paul's sweat rags and threw it out there, and the guy grabbed it, and you have to have faith, by the way. You have to have faith. They weren't just magically whoever touched it. They had faith. They had a response. And bam. So one of the brothers went, bingo. We got the formula. We found the passcode. And all the dollar signs, the shekel signs, the drachma signs came up in seven pairs of eyes. ching 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 You know, uh, my observation? Did anybody want to say, hey, there was power there? Serious? I mean, the name of Jesus delivered the guy from the devil? Hey, let's go to this Paul. Let's get delivered of our own sins. Let's find the Lord. And it's the truth. Did anybody think of that? Oh, no, 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 not for us. Oh, we want to find a way to make money, take the shortcut. And so they did. Now, here's what they say. I guess somebody called them to the scene. Hey, we got, you know, Brutus is manifesting, you know, so he's doing his thing, right? We need somebody with the spinach. <laughs> so, so here they come. Here's what they say, verse 13. I love this. Come out in the name of that Jesus who that guy Paul preaches about. Oh, that said with such confidence, too. And the evil spirit, so funny, if you're not them. Um, <laughs> I know all about Jesus, and I'm quite familiar with Paul. The question I have today is, who in the world are you? <laughs> I love that. And so, by the way, two different words for no. Jesus I know, ginosko in the Greek, by experience. Yeah, we've had encounters with that guy. We know him. And Paul I know, different word, by observation or study. Ooh, (laughs) They watch us. They know us. But who are you? No one in hell knows who you are. None of my uh, supervisors have heard of you. (laughs) Sir, you are a zero threat to us. You have no power. What do you think you're, did you, were you talking to me? Because if you were talking to me, I don't think you want some of this. Well, you're going to get it anyway. (laughs) There's no threat. Satan doesn't even care about a lot of them. He does, however, study and observe the threats. That's why you're told, be on alert, your enemy. Not their enemy, per se. He is, but... He knows his time is short, he studies. Who's giving me the most trouble? Take him out. That's what they're talking about. So they had to learn a valuable lesson. The robes are easy to tear off. (laughs) No no comment. (laughs) And then they, uh, what the Bible's saying is they escaped within an inch of their life just by their teeth. They taught the valuable lesson. It's not what you know. It's who you know. It's not believing there is a God. It's believing in the Lord in a personal way. You have to know Jesus personally. You know how many times I'll talk to an unbeliever and they'll give the list of every last born-again Christian they know. They'll say, oh, my wife believes all that. My wife is a Christian. I go to church with her all the time. Or they'll say just the opposite works as well. Or they'll say, oh, I got an Aunt Mabel. Oh, my gosh, there are Bibles all over that house. What about you, sir? What is it with, oh, I was raised in the church, and I could tell you all about it. I know more about Jesus than than maybe some of the people in your church. And? And? David Guzik said this. Sadly, many churchgoers will perish because they have no personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. They only know that Jesus the pastor preaches or that Jesus their spouse believes in instead of Jesus of their own salvation. Speaking of the hem and the garment, I love the application of this. Jesus is moving with a vast crowd. It says multitude upon multitudes of crowds. And it says they threaten to crush him because they're jostling him and pressing into him. Jesus stops the crowd, and they all go, you know. The Son of God has something to say. It's silent. And he says, who touched me? Who who was it? Who touched me? I'm serious. Who touched me? Peter says, in your Bible, it says, Peter says, Lord, you see the crowds, right? You see us crushing you. Uh, Everyone's touching you, and yet you ask, who touched you? We're a little confused about it, all right? Because the answer would be, everybody's touching you, and then Jesus says, "Uh, who touched me? Everybody's around and making connections and talking about me and thinking they're really close, but only one person has connected with me in a life-changing way and that's the only way that counts. And it's this woman who reached out and she had faith in her heart if he wills it that power will come from him and change me and heal me and stop the bleeding. And she reaches out and he says that's who touched me. Right? It's none of this. The in the name of the Jesus that that guy teaches a lot about, you know. Sorry, Charlie. Um, <laughs> be a sad, sad day when people stand before the living God and they give their excuses. Well, this and that and this and I knew this and I knew that. But and Jesus will be patient. And and your husband all those years talk to you. Your wife all those years. Your pastor. You grew up in it, and and you rejected it. It never happened. You never connected. The power for me to save your life never went into you. And you knew that, and you kept going. Thy will be done, sir. Not my will. My will was that you come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. Thy will now has to be done. Well, it had a big effect. Uh, the name of the Lord was held in high honor, <laughs> great reverence for God. Ephesus, the demon capital of the world, as I called it, uh, really took notice. This is nothing. And this, we finally found a name. We found a God that can, can really take care of business here. And so your text says in, in verse 17, those unsaved who were messing around with the occult, the Jews and the Gentiles. But interestingly, those believers who still had their little magic books and their little charms and their business cards for their psychics and their statues dude you don't like that one <laughs> <All> right? <laughs> business cards for the psychics anyway moving on these quick uh, these people quickly figured out I don't want to be messing with this now what how, why why they all come forward hey hey I got this thing I don't I got this book I got this scroll I got to get rid of it why well Someone else's humiliation publicly and their terrible shame and pain oftentimes puts others on the straight and narrow, if they're wise. Do you know what, how good it is, sorry to say, when a pastor falls publicly? Oh, and we have to live through the nightmare of the tears and seeing the wife on the news crying and the church splitting and him being humiliated, and the gospel being blasphemed. Do you know how good that is for every pastor to look at that and let the fire burn away? I bet many, many pastors have been saved by that kind of thing. How about marriages that you hear about? Because the guy was clicking on porn, and she divorced him, and he visits his kids every other week. Do you know how many husbands, you know, got rid of the computer because of someone else's shame, naked, and bleeding? No, thank you. No thank you. I told you about getting called to a, a scene where the wife confronted the husband about his adulterous affair, and I was with another pastor. And we went in and all hell broke loose. Babies crying. The, the woman was hysterical. I thought I was going to have to call 911 just to restrain her. The husband, just broken. Oh, it's the ugliest scene I've ever been in in all 35 years of ministry. And walking out, I've told you this before, my friend turns to me and says, remind me not to commit adultery. And I said, yeah, right? <laughs> Public, shame, naked, bleeding, no thank you. No, thank you. Not my life. It's not going to happen to me. That's what happened here. So they're coming out, hey, i got this lucky rabbit's foot <laughs> into the fire, you know, or whatever it is. They had scrolls and books on how to reverse spells. So the Christians came to the Lord and said, hey, just in case, I'm not going to throw it out. I'm not going to burn it. What if I need it, you know? It costs a lot of money. Oh, but after that scene, the public... Naked, bleeding thing? Oh, we're done. You can have this book. I don't care how many drachmas it was. It's not worth endangering my relationship with the living God. And that's what happened here. And so they started a bonfire and had a book-burning party. They brought, <laughs> they brought out all their scrolls and the charms and the stuff, things that stumbled down. They were burning their bridges, man. That's a good thing. 50,000 drachma is $4.5 million (laughs) in our money. Yeah. Now, back when I was a young adult, I was going to a church in a young adult group, and we read this chapter. And one of the gals, Diane Lovardi, she said, let's have, I want to smash a bunch of my albums. An album is... a a, a record (laughs) it's this plastic thing that you could play on a phone and (sighs) grab yeah all right she said i I got a bunch of these and i just want to i i just want them out of my house somebody said we want to sell them are you kidding me i want to get rid of them they represent so much just i just i want them gone and she said let's have a party We'll worship, we'll pray, we'll have communion, and then we'll break records, and we'll bring, bring your stuff. Oh, it was so much fun. It was the 80s. <laughs> and so, we go in there. She was hilarious. She took a record, and she said, she said, this is, imagine there's no heaven, imagine, you know that song, Lenno, Lenno, Len- 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 Lenin? <laughs> Somebody out there. And so she'd take that album, And on the corner of her kitchen counter, she said, imagine there's no heaven. Imagine this. (laughs) And with every album, she'd come up with a funny line, you know, goodbye, yellow brick road. (laughs) (laughs) And she just had, oh, it was so much fun. a guy, a bottle of musk, went to the sink, poured it out. In the name of Jesus, I renounce this. What was that all about? Every Friday and Saturday night, I put this on, and I go out and womanize. Those days are over, and every time I smell that, I think of it. I want it gone, burned, destroyed. That's not me. I don't want to smell like that. I don't want to talk like that. I don't want to think like that. Everybody's like, praise. Praise. Jesus, we were on fire. Everybody's popping cans of spinach left and right. <laughs> They're <were> like, <laughs> sorry. I promise never to do that again. <laughs> My son, Zach, just covered his face <laughs> with his hands. <laughs> All right, look, look, look. One gal, she said, I gotta get rid of this. I wanna smash it into a thousand pieces. She said, I shoplifted this and I've kept it on my shelf. Here it is. Bring out the mallets. Oh, we had fun. It was just fun. It was cleansing. Then word got out. And Christians looked down on us. They said... You couldn't sell that? Is all secular music bad? We're not saying all secular music is bad. Well, you know, you could've given it away or you had to do that. And are you saying cologne's wrong? Or you guys are so legalistic, so extreme. Well, listen. Maybe you need a fire. Maybe you need a baptism. Maybe those who don't have the baptism don't like those who do because it threatens their, and says something about their mediocrity. And so, why don't you ask Diane Lavardi in heaven, she's in heaven, she died young, pulmonary embolism. And I want somebody to ask her, because you're gonna meet her, I'll introduce you, and you'll say, hey, I heard the story, it was hilarious. And you could say, hey, you know, why didn't you sell them on Craigslist, man? What, what's so extreme? Why don't you got to do, you know, whatever? And then she'll say, hey, Jesus, could you answer this for me? Just, just what did you think about me? Just wanted to just break free of things that just didn't honor you. I felt like it dishonored and it kind of stumbled me and I just wanted no trace of it in my house. And I just wanted to, just destroy it. How did you feel about that when I was doing that for you? How did how did that make you feel, Jesus? Yeah, I, I think they withdraw the question at the time. <laughs> Burning bridges. Burn the bridges. You think this was weird or extreme? How about your Lord Jesus? He said. I don't care if it's as valuable as your right hand. You, anybody think this is near and dear? How much is this worth? A lot more than 50,000 drachma, all right? He says, if this is the problem, chop it off, because I'd rather see you in heaven and in right relationship with me with one good hand than two working hands. Is it your eyeball? It's worth way more than 4.5 million. But if this is what's causing you a problem spiritually and getting in the way of me, gouge it out, sir. It's just not worth it. Just not worth it. Is it your foot, the places you go, the things you look at, the things you do? Burn the bridge. That's what they're doing. Holy fire came down, and they're like, "Ah, I don't want any of it anymore. I don't want a hint of it. I don't want to smell like it. I don't want to look like it. I don't want to remember. And I most importantly. I don't want a door back, so I can just step back like that. Christians today, they have all kinds of things that are around that you can use. One guy said to me, "Uh, "You can't email me because I threw my laptop out the window. (laughs) I didn't want it anymore because it stumbles me. I have an addiction." I don't use computers, I use the one at work. I get by. It's less expensive than my hand. So I've gotten rid of that. There are a lot of things like that. We just want to burn away, like a cell phone. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) See how evil they are. All right. Let's close with a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. All right. You will have enough temptation with your own thoughts without going after some of these things. Is there any habit, any practice that you have got that defiles your soul? If Christ loves you and you come and trust in him, you will make quickly the end to those things. You will be done with those things quickly, be done with them forever. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you what the rest of the verse says, that the, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power because your fire came down and Christian hearts were set free and clean and right. God, We just, we want to love you. We want to take these truths and put them into practice and be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. So one, be filled. Ask God to fill you with overflowing power from the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life and to do Christian service. Ask, trust, and receive. Number two, work hard. Your work can bring honor to Jesus and he can use it to bring others to life. Number three, know Jesus in a personal way. It's the only means to enjoy his protection and power and eternal life. And finally, burn bridges, get rid of that stuff or relationships, whatever it is that's holding you back. The less opportunity to stumble, the better. I want to close to my dear, seeking, unbelieving, non-Christian friend. You've had the opportunity once again to hear the gospel. It's very simple. God created all things. He created you. You're a sinner. You're separated from him. In this life, if you die in that condition, you die a second time called the second death where you are separated forever from God. Because you did not come to life and were born again through simple faith, God made a plan for you, whoever you are. And he lays out the truth one more time and says, would you like eternal life? Would you like your sins forgiven? Would you like when death comes to your door to have it pass over? Or would you like to stand before me and pay for every last sin? Christ pays you pay your choice. So we're going to bow our heads, close our eyes, and say one more time, you've heard it before, <laughs> here's your opportunity to just acknowledge before us, before me and the Lord, really, we're the only ones looking around, that you, in, in fact, would want to put your faith and trust in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and come to know him in a personal way. If that's you this morning, you say, hey, today's the day I want to, Surrender. I give my life over to Christ. While Christians are praying because they have the fire and the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so they're praying for you. Then you just raise your hand up nice and high. And we will help you with the sinner's prayer. We won't embarrass you. We won't call you out. But we'll acknowledge you. Anybody here willing to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Amen. I see a hand. We're going to say the sinner's prayer, what we call the sinner's prayer, just a prayer to kind of give you some structure. It could go any way you want in your heart, but here's the gist. Let's pray together. Dear Dear Heavenly Father, today I surrender to you. And put my, faith in the Lord, put my faith in Christ the Lord, who died for me and my sins, and rose again to give me life. I repent of my sins. I, of my sins. I ask you to forgive me, I ask you to forgive me. And come inside of me, inside of and come upon me with the power of the Holy Spirit. I give my life to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I give my life to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen, amen. Now, Father, dismiss us in your peace, and thank you for the couple of hands that went up, Lord, and whatever work you're doing in their hearts. We just pray that you'd continue that and help them to be filled with your wonderful power today and your wonderful presence. We thank you for all these good blessings. In Christ's name, amen. 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 God bless you. We'll see you. Don't forget about prayer at the cross, especially if you raised your hand. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night.